0: Well, it's good morning to you all. It's good to be here, right? Yes. So, uh, after a week of maybe you didn't get good news today, we're going to talk about good news. So, uh, we're going to jump into the Word. If you're new here, my name is Tony, and we are in the midst of a series out of the book of Ephesians, and we're going to turn there now. Uh, we love to let the Word of God guide us into life, uh, not the opinions or fleeting thoughts of of other people. Like, we find our root in what God would have to say to us. And so, as you're turning there, uh, just let me begin with some, some thoughts here about some things that have been going on in culture that are, quite frankly, alarming. Uh, you've heard the term cancel culture, have you not? And, and cancel culture, basically what it does is it says that if, if somebody says something that they don't like or they do something that they don't like, then you remove them from any sense of speaking or presence. Uh, basically, you cancel them out. They're no longer apart. Now, just so you don't think that's something new, the Athenians actually did this in, in AD, or 350 B.C. So more than 2,000 years ago, uh, the Athenians had a practice of cancel culture. In fact, if they didn't like what you said... They would literally remove you from society for 10 years. Now, some of you are like, that's a great idea. There's some people we could silence right now for 10 years. We would be better off, right? Well, cancel culture has kind of gone into a little bit of a, uh, it's, it's gone into a fuller aspect of practice in that we're now looking back in history and if we dislike something, that a historical figure that maybe had some big accomplishment that we all benefit from, but we discover that there was something flawed about them, all of a sudden we cancel them out as well. And so you're seeing that uh, before us uh, as we speak, as people are, you know, are being eliminated from textbooks, we're seeing statues taken down, and so on. Well... Personal opinion here, uh, not necessarily from scripture, but I think it's rooted from that, is that I think we're removing from ourselves the best way to learn. I think that when we identify that all people that we might have even had a positive esteem towards, when we discover that there's something imperfect about them, what we've simply have learned is that everybody, everybody, Fall short of the glory of God. And all have sinned and all are imperfect, and there's opportunities to learn from that. I mean, my goodness, where would we stop if we started canceling out everybody that we discover is flawed? There wouldn't be anybody we could point to as saying, you know, here's some good things that we learned from them, but here's some things that, again, they're imperfect like you and I. And so, as part of holding up figures and acknowledging, yes, some big accomplishments, but also there's some flaws, we have the opportunity to teach. And when we teach, it gives us an opportunity to learn and inform us from our past past, and help us towards our future. And so, in my opinion, remembrance may be actually the greatest teacher for knowing how to live to go forward. I mean, would we want to repeat the errors of the past and, and continue to repeat them and repeat them. But rather, shouldn't we want to teach from the errors of the past, acknowledge them as heirs so that we can know better how to live towards tomorrow? And so in, in Scripture, we're taught many times, don't forget or remember. Why do we still practice communion as a church? So we can remember that we won't forget. But primarily so that generation to generation... We'll not forget by under what work and power by which we approach the throne of God. If we don't practice communion, what would happen? If an entire generation stopped that, what would happen? What would the next generation be teaching in the churches? Probably a salvation by works or goodness. Or, and just teaching that maybe Jesus is just a good teacher a good model not the model i mean and then two and three generations later would jesus's name even be mentioned so we take the opportunity to remember so that we can learn both from our mistakes and our successes and if we don't remember then we need to learn it and lean in today's text tells us twice to remember and every time I see that term in there, there's usually a concern or a strategy that is, being, that is at play as to why God would say, remember, or don't forget. And so today in the text, we're going to see remember twice and it's going to be so significant that, we, that it's going to actually be very applicable for how we navigate today's societal concerns. So let's begin in verse 11. And it says, therefore. So now let me stop. Therefore is usually pointing to something that just happened and was taught. So what was taught? Last week we read this. Verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, but it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. So you and I are saved by grace through faith, a work of God, not the work of us. And as a result, we're created in Christ to do a good work, a handy work that he prepared in advance for us to do. So therefore, in light of that, that we've been saved by grace through faith, and God has work for us to do, therefore, let us not forget or remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So sinners that are saved by grace through faith, not by work so no one can boast, and then prepared in advance to do a work for God, he tells us, don't forget though. Don't forget or remember that you used to be Gentiles called the uncircumcised ones by those who are circumcised. Now, Let's go into the Greek here for a moment. In the Greek, that term circumcision means circumcision. <laughs> and I really don't want to go into it more than that. So can we just agree that we, if you don't know the term, you'll look it up later? Because my wife had a little bit of concern this morning when she was reading the text. Actually, it was last night before we went to bed. And she's like, how are you going to handle the term circumcision? And I said, very carefully, and she goes, that's not a good enough answer. (laughs) So there you go. Just look up the term. If you don't know what that means, look it up later. But let me just tell you, for the Jewish person, this is what separated them from those who were Gentiles. It was something they practiced physically to remember and to not forget the covenants that they had had from their earliest of roots, from Abraham that there was a covenant between their people and God. And that circumcision is the symbolic connection to that that covenant that was between Abraham and God. And the Gentiles then were the uncircumcised ones. So there was great separation between Jew and Gentile. This term circumcision was often the separated one. So Jews would say about the Gentiles, oh, those are just uncircumcised pagans. To the Gentile, they'd say, oh, those those cocky, arrogant, Jewish, circumcised ones. And, And so there was animosity between the two. Now, to get clarity again on the text, I need you to trust me for a moment. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Now, in your mind, I want you to get a picture of a Gentile in your mind. Just real quick, a picture of a Gentile. Now open your eyes. My question to you is, was that Gentile white or black? Asian or Latino? The answer is probably based on the color of your own skin. But let it highlight something. In this text and throughout all of scripture, there is a chosen people called the nation of Israel. And then there is other, Gentiles. And those Gentiles included all people who are not of Abraham's lineage. So when we read this text, keep in mind that the Gentile isn't just a Euro, white-skinned individual. It was an Asian, a Hispanic, a Persian, an Arab, a black person or a white person. And so therefore, Anybody who was not Jewish, all those other ethnicities were on the outside looking in. God called the people of Israel his chosen people. And therefore, those who were outside of that were excluded. But we need to understand What that meant. And so I'm going to actually, don't lose Ephesians 2. We're going to come back to it. But I need you to turn to Genesis chapter 17. I'm going to read the first 14 verses to get context about this covenant that was between Abraham and God that included circumcision as the symbol of that covenant. So it's the very beginning of your Bibles in Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. So some of those nations will be of his very descent, uh, bloodlines, and you'll discover later that it will also include Gentile at a later point. But So from here, it says there will be many nations. Verse 5, No longer will you be called Abram, for your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations." I will make you very fruitful. I will make you make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. I will be, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your house. So, there is the beginning of the promises that are given to the nation of Israel. It begins with Abraham. He received this covenant that if you honor me as God and you obey me, I am going to make you a father of many nations. And this will be an everlasting covenant. So, in other words, it's going to go into eternity, this covenant between me and you. And so, the sign of this, again, primarily as a teacher, you will have on the eighth day, every male born will be circumcised. So, therefore, the mother would be very much involved with this. The father would do this. And the priest would be a part of that process. And this was an acknowledgment of a covenant that began the entire story of redemption. That is the beginning of our redemption. We've been teaching how in Christ, all mankind has the opportunity to be redeemed for those who are worked on, prodded by the work of the Holy Spirit in them. And so you have this, this work that has begun there with Abraham because it says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations and you'll become the father of many nations into eternity. And that can only happen through an eternal heirship. H-E-I-R-S-H-I-P, just to make sure we're clear. So, for those who inherit will go into eternity from that which began with Abraham. And so this circumcision was meant to be an opportunity to never forget that it began with a promise, a covenant. And then other covenants came along. And then another significant one was the Davidic covenant. When David was told, David, I'm going to make out of your lineage, out of your descendants, an eternal king that will reign on the throne forever. And so then we then knew from out of Abraham who was the father of Isaac who then fathered Jacob and Jacob became the father of 12 uh, sons and of those 12 one of them was named Judah and then Judah was told it will be out of you a scepter will come and so then we have this knowledge that someday there is going to be a king that will be an eternal king that will come out of the family of Abraham but specifically from the tribe of Judah and he will be Of an eternal kingdom. And so that helps us understand. That Jesus who is. So that no man can boast. And we're created to do incredible works in his name. Don't you dare for consequence. To the Gentile. The separation between Jew and Gentile. The circumcised one. Versus the uncircumcised ones. Those who were given the covenants and promises of God. Versus those who were on the outside of that. That separation had severe consequence, and it begins with the first one being significant, we're separated from Christ. You see, all the 300 to 400 messianic prophecies that are listed in the Old Testament were all given to the Jewish people as, here's how you will know who the Messiah truly is. Because there's going to be false messiahs, are going to be false Christ, because Christ is the Greek term for Messiah. So there are going to be many false Christs out there. How will you know who the true one is? You look at the written text in the Old Testament. Again, nearly 400 different Messianic prophecies that would help you know who Jesus actually is versus who the others are not. And so in this, what was taught throughout the years and given to the people of Israel then can help us all know that Jesus is indeed the Christ. But we're separate from him. Without the work of Christ, we are separated. We're merely Gentiles, the uncircumcised ones. But not only that, not only are we separate from Christ, but we are excluded from citizenship in Israel, which means all the promises, all the covenants are not ours. They're not ours. They're somebody else's. And on top of that, because those covenants don't come to us, we are left without hope and without a God. And in this case, the God, the one and only. We are kept out of that. So as those who are Gentiles, and again, I'm assuming that probably 99% of us here in this room are Gentile. Regardless of skin color, likely 99% of us here in this room are Gentile. And therefore, there was a time where we were on the outside looking in when it comes to the promises of God. We were on the outside looking in. They were not our promises. They were not given to us. They were given to a chosen people, a people called Israel that were of the descendants of Abraham. And in particular, the Messiah was the one that was going to come and be the bridge, but he, as the bridge, was coming from the line of Judah. So, because we're excluded from the citizenship of Israel, we have no hope, we have no meaning. We have no purpose and we have no direction. So, if you take Israel out of the picture, give me where you could say the Gentiles have meaning, they have hope, they have purpose and direction, and you can't use Jesus. It doesn't exist. It's only in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. Do we get grafted in and experience the hope that comes from the work of the gospel? And that's why I love what one commentarian says. If it wasn't for Jesus, the Gentile has no meaning, has no hope, has no purpose, has no direction. If you take Jesus out of the picture, those are only for the Jew. Now, would that not be an important moment of teaching to generations to come. Would it be important for them to understand that there was a season of time where those of us that are, gonna, that are Gentile, that are having Gentile children, that are having Gentile grandchildren, that we want them to know Christ, but wouldn't it not be important for them to understand this was not always an opportunity? This was always not, I mean, wasn't necessarily always our hope. There was a point when it changed And the point of teaching that is that, therefore, we understand that there's gratefulness that we were grafted in, that we were brought in. But up to that point, there is nothing for us. All we have is the story of how God acknowledges that there is something that he is going to do for the sake of all mankind. But it begins through the, the lineage of Abraham. And so, in verse 13... What I love, again, we've we've had these moments throughout the teaching in in Ephesians where a statement is made, where it's true, but it's not a great truth, it's not a feel-good truth, and then there's this conjunction, but, and it's but God. And 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 so Dan Hollingsworth, who spoke a couple weeks ago, our missionary from Spain, he said, you know, they, they live on that phrase in Spain in the church, where it's like, you know, this might be true, but there's God. God's the difference maker, and we see it here. So while the Gentile and the Jew were separated from each other, there is a but God moment in verse 13 that says, But now in Christ, Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we were far away, but we were brought near. No, we didn't come near. We were brought near. There's a difference in the language. So the promises were with Abraham. Who gave the promises? God did. Abraham was a a merciful and and a recipient, receiver of grace to receive that covenant. But it was God's covenant to him. And therefore, when this opens the door through Christ, there is an invitation for God, come near. It's your time to come into the fulfillment of these covenants and promises. You will now be blessed by the promises I've given to Abraham. You will now be blessed by the, by the promises that come through a, through a prophetic storyline of a coming Messiah. And you are going to be blessed and brought near by that very Messiah. And it's by his blood and you'll notice that, that as different covenants happened between God and man, blood became part of the journey. It wasn't just circumcision. It went into the need for sin sacrifices, which was a spotless lamb. And Jesus became the lamb, the final lamb, the perfect lamb, but this time as human blood without taintedness of sin. And so as a result, it was a once and for all sacrifice. And so therefore, those who are far away have now been invited to come near. But this was a work of God, not a work of the Gentile. It was a work of God to be invited in. This is where then we take on a new story. So the chapter is now going to turn and it says, now you Gentiles are part of the covenants. You're part of the promises. You are part of the hope and direction and purpose for life for which you had nothing of that prior to Christ. And so being grafted in, which we find that term in Romans chapter 11, when Paul talks about the vine that God created, that was through um, the nation of Israel, that that vine was always between uh, Israel and God, and now something similar has been brought in, grafted in and connected, and is now growing from out of that same vine that receives life. So the Gentile is no longer on the outside wishing to be part. The Gentile is invited near and grafted in and becoming part. So the gap was removed by the blood of Christ Jesus. That which separated us, circumcision and uncircumcision, covenants between God and his people Israel, that chosen people, has now become bridged by the very blood of Christ. And now what does he call us? Chosen people people. We just went through Ephesians chapter 1 where it says God chooses a people for himself that he's making into a holy nation. And now that language is not just exclusive for that of the Jew, but it's also the Gentile. Look at verses 14 to 16. We haven't read that yet, but let's continue into it. It says, for Christ himself is our peace, who made two groups, Jew and Gentile, one and has destroyed that which was the barrier between them dividing the dividing wall of hostility so prior to christ jew and gentile was separated by a barrier and it was hostile but christ comes in peace making the two groups one and setting aside the flesh and its laws with its commands and regulations his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them Jew and Gentile to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility so again the cross finishes the battle between Jew and Gentile it is no longer needing to be a fight it is one and the message of peace has come from Christ and he says this in verse 17 Jesus came and he preached peace to you who are far away, the Gentile, and peace to those who are near. For through Christ, we both, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one Spirit. There isn't a Spirit just for the Gentile. There isn't a Spirit just for the Jew. There is one triune God, Father, Son, and and Holy Spirit. That one Holy Spirit who is one with God is who unites the Jew and the Gentile together. Without Christ preaching peace and then making peace with his violent death and his resurrection, then we, there would still be a wall of division and it would be a wall of hostility. So Jesus becomes our peacemaker Making the two groups one. Now, we have learned and studied peacemaking before, and we've acknowledged that the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking is basically this. Peacekeeping says, I just want to make everything peaceful in the moment, regardless of long-term consequences. Whereas peacemaking says, whatever it's going to take to make peace for the long haul is what I'm willing to do in the moment. Which means it's often unpeaceful to start. It's difficult. And the cross was not a peaceful moment. The cross was violent. And it was a part of the plan of God that by the sinless sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that that, that his blood can make that which was impossible possible. Which is to make the Jew and the Gentile that despised each other become one family together. One household. The denial of such reality can also lead to horrific outcomes. Consider the Holocaust. If we get this theology wrong, where God's message is through Jesus Christ, a message of peace, where it brings the Jew and the Gentile together in peace, and brings that Jew and Gentile together by removing a wall, a barrier that was a wall of hostility if we do not acknowledge that that is the intent of God, that he's creating a a single household of both Jew and Gentile, if we deny that, then you are operating by the spirit of the enemy. And when you do that, you get to places like what happened in Germany about 100 years ago. You get to a bad place, and the church fell for it. Not all the church, but much of the church in Germany fell for the leadership of a superior race, where the Gentiles somehow co ops that which God was doing in the nation of Israel. And therefore, because the gospel has come to the Gentile, let's just get rid of Israel because now we are the chosen people. And they are not. This is not the teaching of Scripture. The, The covenants of Abraham still stand with Israel. We get grafted in and get to enjoy the blessings of those covenants. We don't replace the Jews we get brought in and get to receive the blessing of that which was given to the Jews. And so therefore, what Jesus did was quite the opposite. He brought us together by making peace and removing that hostility that was between the two, making them one, which then means, and hear me on this, if you want to know if a particular movement in today's America is of God or not, One of the primary evidences of a message or movement of God is that it's a message and a movement of reconciliation. And I'm not mincing my words. I am intending to speak very directly. A movement that is truly of God is one that will reconcile people groups, not one that continues to further divide them. Because the last time I checked, It wasn't a white person that was represented of the the Gentile in this text. Many of them were of olive-colored skin and of Asian descent and of African descent that were Gentiles. And the gospel was coming to them. Quite frankly, Europe was on the latter part of experiencing this where a lot of us get our heritage. The beautiful thing is that regardless of ethnicity, regardless of birth order, regardless of where you were born and who your parents were, the gospel of Jesus Christ brings together that which was thought impossible, where Jew and Gentile can be formed into one household. One. And so as a result, it makes sense why Jesus would say on the night he was betrayed, When he was praying in John 17, and he prayed, God, Father, let those who believe in me be one with one another so that the world can see their oneness and believe and understand that the Father and the Son are one. So our unity as a church... Which, again, would blow the mind of the world that Gentiles of all ethnicities can come together under one household, one father, one Lord, one mission, one purpose. The miracle that that could ever be possible will be seen as then being the validation that it must be driven and led by God. It's not a man-oriented movement. That has to be God. That's why Jesus prayed the way he prayed. And today, the church is doing a great job in many ways of trying to create and build new walls of hostility. I'm telling you, the best thing we have to offer is the message of the gospel, not a message of our dislikes to each other. Verse 17 says this, that Jesus came and preached what? He didn't preach division and superiority. No, he preached peace to you who are far away, which would be me, which would be you, Gentiles. To those who are far away, he preached peace. And he preached peace to the Jew, his own people, to which we have been reconciled through. Do you realize we owe our inheritance as children of God to the covenants between God and Abraham. So we thank Israel for being the people of God. And we, by grace, accept our invitation to join that family, that invitation that comes from the God who created those covenants. And we are brought in, and we do so under grace, not out of superior cockiness or arrogance, but in humility, recognizing that we've been given a tremendous gift. So we preach the message of Christ like he did to both Jew and Gentile. And I will say this, we have already learned in Ephesians chapter one that if you do not have the spirit of God in you, you're not a child of God. That is the marker for who the children of God are. He says, having believed in Ephesians one, having believed you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who becomes the leader into all truth, that inner guide for us all. And so if the spirit of God is not in you, You're not a child of God. And the beautiful thing is that same spirit is in both the Jew and the Gentile. The Asian, the black, the white, the Hispanic. And the list goes on. The many people groups of the world. And God, through his one spirit, makes all these people groups come into one household. And what he calls a perfect household under him. This is the word of God and the spirit of God at work. Let it guide us on how to answer these these problems in society. So therefore, I have some takeaways I'd like to leave you with. That first of all, remember what we've learned today. To not forget that there was a time we had no hope, we had no future, we had no purpose. Because that was just that we were included with all the promises that were given to Abraham and his family. Let's pray. Lord, it's hard for us to appreciate something that happened generations ago. First century church, I'm sure they got it because it was new, it was fresh. Gentiles were being brought into the family for the first time ever. But we're generations and generations and generations later of Gentile leading Gentile to the Lord. That it's tempting to forget that there was a season of time where we were on the outside. We wouldn't even know who Jesus was if it wasn't for the Jewish prophets, the Jewish messengers. We wouldn't even know your heart if it wasn't for your covenants with the Jewish leaders and patriarchs. So let us not forget and let us be vigilant in teaching these things to our children. That we are one people made perfect in peace by the work of Jesus Christ. And so to Jesus' prayer, where we're to to be one as you are one, may as we close this service, Lord, that you bring unity to the body of Christ here in this room. To your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please? Don't let your heart regardless of whatever last name you bear that might point to what your heritage is, the one thing that we can approach the we extend olive branches to them and invite them to hear about the story of what their relative has done for all of mankind. And we become ambassadors of that gospel. And we want to teach this from generation to generation. Lest the generations after us think it's all about us. We're the superior race, when in reality, there is a humility that we should have that we were included. And so with that in mind, we have been searching the scriptures as an elder board and trying to discern what does it look like to build bridges to the Jew? What does it look to build bridges to the Gentiles of many different skin and colors? What does it mean to let the gospel be our message, not the corrector of society that has no spirit? They don't have the answers. We provide the gospel. And so one of the things we've done is we realize, you know, for the Jew, they were taught all the years that you read the scriptures on the Sabbath, and that is on Saturday. And so we have begun Sabbath readings here at LEFC. It's just reading of scripture, just like we did a few weeks ago in our services, Scripture read without commentary. But it starts in Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Then it moves into the prophets and the Psalms and Proverbs. And then it goes into the New Testament, the fulfillment of those things that were written in the Torah. And we, and we just simply, we read it, and, you know, we decide this is a good thing. It's a good thing to have scriptures read every day in this building. And so there's an invitation to you. Every Saturday, throughout this next year, Every Saturday, four o'clock, right here in this room, no sound system, just scriptures being read. If you want your heart encouraged, come. If you have a Jewish friend who needs Jesus, invite them to come with you. And then maybe they can discover and see the beauty of the fulfillment that comes in Christ. Having said that, be bridges to the gospel, people of peace with the message of peace, because we follow the king of peace. Amen. You're dismissed.